What are you afraid of? Scared you go there and find out that he doesn't love you anymore, honey. You can't control that. The only thing you can control is how you feel. Not how you feel, but how you deal with what you feel that is real. You've got to relax, relate, and release into reality. What was that like, being in therapy? Uh, Were you, what did you talk about that you had never acknowledged to yourself or talked talk? I grew so much from the experience. But I think the most important thing I got is that everything is connected. I mean, if I have a problem, I usually just go to church, give me some Jesus, <laughs> and I'm cool. Welcome back to another episode of Black and Therapy, where we are discovering our journeys, dismantling myths, and declaring our truths. It's Sarah Ashley, and I'm here with my dope co-host. What's up, y'all? We back for another episode. Donna is in the building, but we have a special guest with us today, y'all. We have Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw. Say what's up to the folk. Hey, everybody. What's happening? All right, so we know how we do when we start the show. We do our check-in. So how you feeling, Donna? I'm feeling rusty. I'm feeling dusty. I'm feeling <laughs> old. I feel like I'm not ready for outside the weather. I'm a little rusty. I feel like April was a, you know, we missed a couple weeks and now I feel like I got to get back on track. Right. But I'm feeling rusty, dusty, and old though, honestly. That's okay. how I feel. How you All feeling? Right. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. It's almost Friday. Okay. Not that they means anything because <laughs> we live it up all week, but yeah, it's okay. almost Friday. Um, so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. How you feeling? I'm tired. Okay. I'm gonna be honest, I'm tired, but I'm feeling okay. Okay. I'm okay. All right, bet. All right, so we got some hot topics. You got some hot topics. Donna does not do pop culture at all. So Sarah be coming with the events of the week, and I'm like, let me see what she's talking about. Or I try to ask her to tell me beforehand because I just don't keep up with stuff. That's fine. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so how do you find out what's going on in the world? Sarah Ashley here. <laughs> You don't even get like an alert on your phone or anything? I mean, I keep up with some stuff, but all right, let's see. Let's, okay. Today will be the test. Okay. Let's see okay. if whatever Sarah says, I know. So I'm not going to get too deep because I want um, the commissioner to be able to tell her story. Cool. But we do have two things that I want to talk about. Um, Black Rob's death. Okay. Tell me you know who Black Rob is. Mm-hmm. Who? I know Black Rob from like, whoa, or something like, like that. Like, whoa, okay. Oh, okay. Like, whoa. <laughs> I already know him. Like, whoa, okay. Right. You know Black Rob? Because of like, whoa. Okay. Right. Bad boy. He was under bad boy. Yeah. Right. And I know right. everything, apparently everything that he touches demise. That's, right? that's my belief, too. Okay. <laughs> okay. So tell us about Black Rob. He passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when DMX was sick or in a coma, you know, he had made those videos mm-hmm. and he looked like yeah, he bad. Looked, he had a couple strokes and everything else. So like, we just wanted to recognize Black Rob. And then Shock J. Do you know what it is? I've sold a like poster or something. No. The, oh, you, are you saying it because she doesn't know what it is? <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. Um, <laughs> wait, wait. Is, is Shock G from Detroit or something like that? No, okay. I'm Did not, you I'm say not. that on purpose? No. No, I wasn't. <laughs> sorry. sorry. I'm only saying that. I'm, look, I'm clutching my imaginary pearls because I'm from Oakland. <laughs> okay. Okay, so if I did, okay, Shock G, Digital Underground, The Humpty Dance, Tupac, I Get Around. I Get Around. Okay, okay. That is Star. I don't know Shock J. Like, if oh, he was okay. walking so, in the street okay. right now, I wouldn't know him. Well, Humpty Hump. Like, if you I know that song. Okay. okay. And, and then the person, if, if you can remember, I'm aging myself, but if you can remember the video, he had the. 
Oh, I definitely don't know the video. Okay. Then no, you know, do you remember yeah. Nothing But Trouble in the movie? You no. asked me about the movie. Tell me, tell me about Shaq dude. What happened? He was just in the movie. He was in that movie too. But what happened to him? Currently? He passed away. Oh, he, he was young. Like he was like fifty-two, so it was like kind of. Oh you know. no! Well, wait, well, what did he pass away from? I don't think they said it. They just said he was found in his hotel room. Yeah. Oh wow! And so did they say what Blake Rod passed away from? He was sick. I mean, he had the strokes and everything. Oh else, yeah, so. he had. A, I saw the video. He said he had strokes after strokes. Yeah. Oh wow! But did he have a condition? I'm not sure. Now you're asking me questions. <laughs> you said you know, so now that's why I don't look at stuff because then I want to know. Then I'm going down a, a, rabbit, a hole. rabbit hole of what happened to Black Rob. What did he do the 20 years after Bad Boy? You know, and now I want to know what he did, where he lived. I want to know did he still have a relationship with Diddy? Did Diddy Probably know about They said Diddy paid for it. Like, then I want to know everything. So that's right. why. Right, right. I don't, but. but didn't they say he paid for it? They said he. Yes, because all everybody around you is right. dying. Somebody better look into that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into our first segment. Um, I got a story to tell. So, what's your story? Yeah, so I, I'll tell you this. Uh, it's so, I'm actually like laughing on the inside. So, my ex-husband is a therapist. <laughs> okay. So okay. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you that um, I'm not walking into this with a bias thinking that all therapists are terrible. Okay. Um, I'm not saying he's terrible. He's an excellent um, psychologist. But with that said, um, having been married to a therapist has certainly opened my eyes to just a lot of things internally. And certainly, you know, as we grow and get older, Hopefully, we become more mature, we're more willing to hold the mirror up in front of our face mm -hmm. and become more self-aware. Um, but for me, you know, I think, I'll just start here. I think a lot of people make the assumption that when you end up in law enforcement, you grew up knowing that you always wanted to be a cop. That mm -hmm. wasn't my life. That wasn't my journey. I didn't grow up with law enforcement in my family, you know, taught to respect authority. Um, in the sense of don't mess with them, you know, so they don't mess with you type thing. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't in my family. Like, it's really rich here. It's a lot of legacy here in Philadelphia and in the Philadelphia Police Department where there's aunts and uncles and moms and dads and young people aspire to, to be law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. Uh, my interactions when I, when I was young, um, quite frankly, were, were negative because of the interactions that my loved ones had with law enforcement. And that changed over time because of the opportunities that I had in high school to have positive interactions uh, with law enforcement and specifically uh, police officers. But when I look back on my childhood, I have nothing but positive things to say. Mm -hmm. That's because I come from such a loving family. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that I didn't grow up with a, with a silver spoon in my mouth, mm -hmm. right? So it's such a difference between being taught at a very early age that you are loved, you are worthy, and you're being uplifted, you know, you're uplifted. Um, and not realizing that, you know, being raised by a single mom, she brought Peter to pay Paul, you know, just to make ends meet. She mm -hmm. maxed out credit cards just to make sure that I can be sent to school wearing clothes that look somewhat decent so I wasn't getting picked on or I didn't feel left out or, you know, so I can join after school programs mm -hmm. to keep me busy and out of the street because our thing was we made up games and played in the street. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think about what my kids did and what I had to do to keep two young boys in Oakland 
you know, busy because you had to. You know, young black males had to be kept busy mm-hmm. and still do. And I had the luxury, or they had parents, you know, they, my kids had the luxury of being put in programs like AAU, mm-hmm. you know, which is expensive. Yep. Or playing baseball year round and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. My reliance was, you know, the YMCA, which was like for a lot of people starting to run track, you know, early on to keep us out of the street. But when all that was said and done, when the Y closed, if they wouldn't let us crawl through, you know, the fence that we, you know, the <laughs> hole in the fence that we made to keep playing on the yard, excuse me, um, we were playing in the street. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we weren't in summer programs or after school programs, you know, so, but we had so much fun. I didn't realize that that probably wasn't the best thing. Between my grandparents, um, my maternal grandparents, because mm-hmm. I spent the bulk of my time with them when I wasn't with my mom. They had a third grade and a sixth grade education. Wow. And it was a huge deal for my mother and all of her siblings. My mother was the oldest of six. Mm-hmm. To, it was a huge deal for me to graduate from high school. Because, you know, like I said, they mm-hmm. had an education between third grade and sixth grade. And they sent all of their kids to California from New Orleans one by one. And then they came last, my mom being the first one to be sent to California. And she was here by herself. Mm -hmm. And she used to tell me stories of how much she hated it. Because once she was away from her family, she moved from the South. Right, we're talking about the migration to, you know, to California, to Northern California, like so many folks did. Mm -hmm. And um, she talked about how she lived with family members that she didn't really have a close relationship to. How she was, you know, made to feel different because, you know, black families... Right? We all think we have secrets. Of course we do. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. So, um, you know, there was some talk about, well, who's, you know, who's you, you look different than the rest of your siblings and all these things. Mm-hmm. And such and such, this sibling is treated differently or you get more clothes or something, <laughs> you know, all those things. And so you're dealing with all of that in the household while adjusting to a new state, being around new people, you're growing and developing you mm-hmm. know, socially and psychologically. Exactly. Right? And then finally, your parents come, and mm-hmm. you're all together in one big family. Again, but you're living in, you know, a mm-hmm. small place, but you're happy. And they all graduated from high school. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. But a lot of my um, aunts, they had, not a lot, but I can think of a couple of my aunts whom I love dearly. They all had kids by the time they were 18. I keep saying a lot or all. But again, it was a thing to graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. And to maybe hold off on having kids. Okay. Right? I'll put it that way. Okay. <laughs> right? So for me, it was a deal to go to college. To be the first one in my generation just to go to college. Because mm-hmm. it was a deal to, to break out and do something different. And again, my grandparents, when, when they finally settled, they retired. They came over to California and they retired um, cleaning the dorms at UC Berkeley or Cal. And uh, my, my grandmother cleaned the dorms, and my grandfather was a cook in the kitchen in one of the cafeterias. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. And so they hustled. So I'm sharing all this because we didn't know what we didn't have. Right, right. Then. And then, you know, the older I got, we hear all these stories. And my mom was like, you know, uh, I think I should tell you this. I'm like, oh, what? tell me what? Secrets. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, and at the time, you guys remember when Martha Stewart went to jail? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're not, we not that young. Story. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just trying to, because I don't know yeah, what you. Okay, I get you. Know. So, 
whatever the year was when Martha Stewart was in jail, we're just sitting, we out having dinner, and my mom said, oh, um, you know the jail, the prison that Martha Stewart is in? I was like, yeah, the one, the da -da -da -da, whatever it is. She said, yeah, that's where I was born. I said, excuse me? Wow. <laughs> wow. And so then we have this whole conversation about how she was born in a prison, and then it just unloaded this whole story about, oh, that's why your birth certificate didn't say you were born at the hospital in New Orleans where everybody else was. That's why it's in West Virginia or wherever mm -hmm. it was. That's why all these potentially you were maybe being treated differently. That's why we have conversations about, right, and then this is when I'm starting to learn about generational curses mm -hmm. and ensuring that we were having the conversation because we were talking about uh, conversations that I should have with my children, mm -hmm. right? And so um, all of that to say, I just realized that as I went on uh, to go to college, you know, I went to a high school where my peer group changed. Mm -hmm. I think that probably saved my life. And that I love my childhood friends, love them, love them, love them. But um, I found myself being in a space when I was younger where it wasn't cool to be smart. Um, and I, I just, about that. I just mm -hmm. wanted to do, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I was that one. Talks too much, I don't quote. From what you, you know, from kindergarten on, that was me. So let me make sure this. How much did your parents or whoever influence your decision making when it came to that peer group changing or the high school choice? Because I know for me, it was like, you're not going there. You're not going there. Mm -hmm. So I'm <laughs> so glad you asked me that. Cause I'm, literally, it's crazy how it unfolded. Mm -hmm. They did this reverse little <laughs> Juju, my Jedi, on me, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, the high school I went to, which is why I, I share the name of it often, is called Holy Names High School. It's all girls Catholic school. Mm -hmm. oh, wait a minute, what? <laughs> huh? Mm -hmm. What did I do? <laughs> Who are these people? And you know, generally, these are young women that you know, or girls at the time that had grown up together from kindergarten right. all the way on. I didn't know anything about that, and so. She said, look, there's this high school called Holy Names, never heard of it. I think you should go. And I'm like, and she does this. Oh, well, it's up to you. <laughs> you know, it's something that can potentially change your life. It can open new doors for you. You know, throwing all these things out, but it's your decision. I'm 13, almost, you know, 12, 13, whatever you are, mm -hmm. when you transition into high school. Right. And I was like, is this a guilt trip? Or <laughs> is she really empowering me to make my own decisions? I'm confused. Mm -hmm. What is this? So I take this test to get into the school, not thinking anything about it, and I have to go for a second interview, and I have to meet with Sister Catherine. I thought everybody had to have a second interview. I didn't know that at the time, it wasn't normal to have a second interview. And so Sister Catherine, she unfolds this paper on a trifold, mm -hmm. and she looks at me and she says, would you do anything to try to get kicked out of the school? And I had the nerve to be offended by it. Mm -hmm. like, Excuse me? <laughs> I was raised right. Right, right, right. But at the time, not having the self-awareness as a young preteen or teen to realize what I was emitting, right? At the time, super curved nails were in, so I had the nails like this, they long and red. I think they had like two or three charms coming up. Right, I had the asymmetrical. I mean, you couldn't tell me nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think I had an eight ball jacket. It was a red jacket. <laughs> so you're killing it. Right, I thought I was, at least for the time. Yeah. And I had the patent leather esprit, um, the shoes with the with the lace, the satin, um, any, right? <laughs> yes. So, and I'm sitting in the chair like this. Mm -hmm. I'm slouched. 
mm-hmm. in my chair. Like, why am I even here? Just attitude, just nasty. You know, when you can look at a young woman and say you're, you're beautiful, but you're ugly. Your mm-hmm. attitude, yeah, everything about right. you is just ugly. Mm-hmm. I'm quite sure that's what was coming from mm-hmm. me at the time. And so, again, she unfolds this paper and she says, is there anything that you would do to try to get kicked out of the school? And I said, why, you know, why would you ask me that? No. And of course, my parents said, mm-hmm. I don't tell you that I don't want to be here. She says, because your test scores are literally off the chart. Literally. That's why she unfolded the paper in the way that she did. She said, they're off the chart. She said, but when and she pulled out this stack of papers, she said, but when I pull out these recommendations from your counselors, your teachers, oh, and here's your grades, no one recommends you to attend this school. Wow. And your grades are terrible. But I literally show that my test scores were through the roof. They didn't align. And so what she was doing was interviewing me to basically look me in my eye and say, if I give you this chance, are you going to prove right. me wrong? And are you going to hold up your end of the deal? And that's when I had this aha moment of, oh, shoot, what have I been doing, mm-hmm. right? What's the image that people have of me? Because I wasn't raised this way, but I knew that if I continued on this path, I was either going to end up, you know, doing something, just ending up somewhere where I didn't want to be. And, you know, either by choice or just because I didn't try, mm-hmm. right? Very clearly. And I think what really got to me the most was that um, adults had this perception of me that I knew, quite frankly, wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the game changer was for me. It was my mom making it seem like it was really my decision, even though I think she was going to make me go anyway. Right. Uh, But that was the game changer. And I saw almost instantly that when my peer group changed, and it's funny because my closest girlfriends on the planet were like sisters now. Five of us. Um, when they first met me, they tell me they're like, "Oh, we thought you were so ghetto." <laughs> I mean, you know, we're like now they say, "Oh, you just a little rough around the edges. You just needed some polish." And then I share with them what I thought of you, right? <laughs> I thought y'all were the little prissy bougie school girls, you know, never wanted for anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, like I said, we're all family now. So I found myself asserting myself. Far more. Um, I remember one year being in tears because I got a B plus because it affected my GPA. That's awesome. Uh, you know, <laughs> in grad school. You, you know, mm-hmm. it just, so it just my whole thought process changed, and I walked out of there being so empowered. I didn't know, um, and it, again, it was also reinforced. I think as you know, in my household as well. I didn't know that the odds were against me when I walked out into the world. Mm-hmm. I thought everybody knew that I, young women were smart. I think that's the game changer though when you have that family that empowers you. Like mm-hmm. we like the stuff that people face or like I listen to kids, you know, we talk to kids all the time and like I've never felt that because I was so empowered at home. Mm-hmm. And not that it was like on purpose either. It was just mm-hmm. like you wanna do what you wanna do? Like it was like, you know, not like do what you wanna do, like no boundaries, but like explore. Like Yes, live your life, like explore, do do what you want to do, what makes you happy. Right, and a lot of us don't have that chance to, you know, maybe go to a school like you went to, or a lot of people just don't have that, and you did have that. I think people don't realize that all they need is that chance, right? That one chance, like, yes, these, these all these odds are against you, you know, she had all these things against you, but it's, it's still that one chance, because who would you, who would you have been sitting across from us if you didn't go? definitely a game changer and like I said I mean we can fast forward to I'm not saying I blew the chance remember it was important for us now my generation 
to go to college. And uh, was I was the first in my generation mm-hmm. to go to college. But life happened. You know, I wasn't 18. But my last semester in undergrad, I found out I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And I would be a single mom. And so life got real. And I was like, oh, I didn't want to be on aid. Mm-hmm. And um, I had been working at the police department in Oakland as an exploring and as a cadet. And I thought I was going to actually go straight through and get my doctorate. I wanted to be a social psychologist. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, obviously, because now I was going to be a new mom. I did graduate. You mm-hmm. know, I walked across the stage with my belly. Um, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> two weeks after I um, had my son, I took the physical agility test and I tested to become a police officer. Okay. Um, Wait, two weeks after, after what? Okay. Because <laughs> right, I felt that Two weeks after. I felt. I was still in stitches mm. uh, because I was determined that I wanted to do something for my son. And I, you know, again, I didn't want to have to rely upon other people mm-hmm. to do something for me. And, you know, like I said, that, that's what I'm saying. My path to get here um, wasn't the traditional route. But once I, you know, found myself in law enforcement, I said, all right, I got to do something with this. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to end up? Where do you want to be? Um, are you going to be a change agent? And I'm sure it wasn't in those words at that time, but I knew that I wanted to position myself um, to make sure that I was being impactful. And then as I was doing this, you know, life happens along mm-hmm. the way. I mean, I got married and I had my second son. I got divorced, you know, still while being, you know, fully employed and going through a very public divorce because I was a poor, a public-facing person at the time. And How was that? Oh my well, gosh. let me ask you this first. How was it dating a therapist or being in a relationship with a therapist? And then how was it without you like saying not too much, whatever? Well, no, so the fast forward, I said I was married my ex husband, but I didn't tell you how many times I've been married. Okay. All right. <laughs> I've been married twice. Okay. So my first husband was a cop. Now, I'm saying that a lot of folks get attracted to uniforms, and I'm not saying we're very bad people. It just didn't work out for me. <laughs> All of that to say, um, I knew when, I, you know, the question I think is how is it dating a cop, you right? Because for women it's very different. Mm-hmm. And I knew that going in. So I'm gonna already pulled him to the side for him. I'm very grateful and said, look, a lot of, and he's like, what is he talking about? I just had a kid. I'm just out here trying to make this money and mm-hmm. you know, do what I want to do and enjoy my career and learn what I can. And he pulled me to the side. He said, look, a lot of, a lot of these cops, a lot of these men are gonna approach you take it all with a grain of salt. I was like, nobody thinking about me. I'm just here, right? And sure enough, you know, because I hadn't been, uh, I, I wasn't up on the culture yet. Excuse me. I wasn't up on that male-dominated culture. Mm-hmm. And then being one of the very few females that was a female, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wasn't up on it yet. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so I knew when I started dating, I made it very clear that if I am going to date someone in the department, that they better be marriage material. Because you date someone and it doesn't work out, and it could be 20 years later, you date somebody again, oh, you know, they can mm-hmm. call you everything but what you really are. Perfect. But if a guy does it, it's fine. It's fine. So, I again, that didn't work out, mm-hmm. right? And I was in a public facing position, and I was very hesitant to change my name because I knew if I did, there were going to be questions. And so, when I was forced to change my name, because he said, I want my name back. <laughs> I had to deal with all of that, Mm -hmm. right? And all the while, I found myself, and again, you know, 
it is what it is. My, my boys are 20, 20, 20 now. So okay. Long, long, long time ago. Um, but I found myself at a phase in my life where I wasn't there yet. Meaning that when I do things with intention and purpose, and as I do it unapologetically now, the things I do today, I wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. I held a lot of myself back. I diluted a lot of who I was as a person to keep the peace not just to be married, but to make my, my first spouse comfortable, but to make sure everybody around me was comfortable. And I knew that I wanted to go back to grad school right away because it was something that I had put off, mm-hmm. you know, when I had my first son. But it wasn't really supported at that time, right? So I kept putting it off. I knew that I wanted to promote. I put it off because it would kind of shake things up in the household. So I put it off, right? So all these things that I wanted to do for myself, mm-hmm. I put off. Then the second, <laughs> you know, that was done, mm-hmm. I tested for this, you know, to, to promote, mm-hmm. um, started looking at grad school. So I, now I find myself being a full-time mom and, you know, going back to school and doing all these things. And, oh, my God, how empowering was that? Right. right. And I was very comfortable in my own skin. And then I was very comfortable being by myself and single. We just had this conversation yeah. we, yesterday, we, literally, too okay. because we're comfortable. Like I, we too I, comfortable. We comfortable. Like I'm happy. Like and it's like when you get out of something crazy and you are now happy and at peace. It's like, yeah, I go on a date, but I don't know if I want. Like but you know what happens when you're comfortable <laughs> and single? What you are a magnet. I was like, I'm cool. I'm <laughs> and that confidence that you exude is not a bad thing. But that confidence that comes out, mm-hmm. they're like, oh. <laughs> and then I found myself like, oh, how are you? Oh, how are you? And boom, next thing you know, I'm married again. Right? Okay. Because you, you suppressed yourself so, right. so long yes. in, in a certain company, yes. in yes. a certain relationship, in a certain atmosphere. And then yes. once you you free from that and you yourself, you like, right. I'm out here. Right. And, and I will say, I, I'm not anti-marriage. I love being married. You just got to make sure you you marry folks. I don't want to say for the right reasons. That's obvious. Um, you got to stay with folks with the good and the bad. I will tell you this. I came to a point where um, when things were great, um, relationship-wise, marriage was great. But for me, you know, you know, career, especially here, career and anywhere, I guess, um, there's a lot of spillover mm-hmm. between professional and personal life. Um, and it's great to be supportive. What was missing, um, you know, in the first one, with, with not being able to just be who I wanted to be, you know, or missing that support there. I think in the second one, all of that was there, mm-hmm. um, which was amazing. But when things get really, really bad, I think it makes it easier or it, it's more difficult for all of us. And I'm not saying because my ex-husband is a great guy by all means. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a therapist. <laughs> right? um, but I think for any natural human being, mm-hmm. it's, it's tougher. It's far tougher when things are bad, right? And it makes it that much more difficult to say, okay, why am I here again? Let's sit down and try to work through this. And I think for me, the, it, the, that moment was when I lost my mom. I was her caregiver okay. for like 14 years. And she passed away in her early 60s. Mm-hmm. And so that just hit me when you hit your lowest of the low, right? It's, and again, my thing is, it, 
when everything is great and I'm up here, it's great. But I need you to, there's an expectation, I think, upon us as black women because we've been the nurturers and the caregivers, the fixers, the all things for all beings, for all people for so long um, that there's an expectation that nothing, nothing will break us, mm -hmm. right? Or we yeah. don't have feelings and we don't emote or Thanks. we don't, mm -hmm. we, you know, we, we don't, don't feel pain. We, we don't mm -hmm. feel pain. Let women can. Nothing, right. right? We'll always persevere. I mean, we but will, we will, but we will. And that's the thing. We should have I think to. it's because right. we continue to show people that we can. All right, cool. You just did that. I got it, though. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That we can, that people are like, well, yeah, you got it. Go on. And, right. and, and I think people forget. No, I need a moment too. Mm -hmm. And even if, and I think because we've even, or I'll speak for me personally, I've even personalized that or internalized that, you know, that being the strong one for so long, mm -hmm. right? I got it. I got it. I got it. You know, at some point you either have to learn how to ask for help when you need it or learn how to identify when you do need help or what mm -hmm. that looks like. Right. I couldn't even tell you. You know, when she passed, well, let me know if you need something. Can I help? I didn't even know what to say, mm -hmm. right? You don't know what you don't know, but All I right. for sure don't know how to articulate to you what I need in this what moment. What I need in mm -hmm. this moment. And so, just again, being the strong one all the time, whether it was just a stressful day at work or whatever it is, I don't necessarily know how to articulate to mm -hmm. you, okay, I just need maybe. Can I get a hug or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Because I have to learn now that I, you know, it's okay to do that. <laughs> right? right? So then that's yet another phase when mm -hmm. we talk about journey. And so now that I'm, you know, I'm out of that, I recognize that everything is important. Mm -hmm. You have to not only be able to show your strength, but it's okay to show weakness. And you have to also learn how to use your voice on all sides. You have to use your voice to say, look, you know, even, you know, when they're coming for me and they say, hey, look, we're glad you're here. You're a new police commissioner and you have all these great things. I have absolutely pro no problem in saying, yeah, that's great. I appreciate this, but this is hard work. And here's what I need from you, because guess what? I can't do this by myself. And right. I'm not. Right. And me saying that doesn't make me any less competent. It doesn't make me weak. It doesn't mean that I'm not qualified to be here. It just means that I'm a realist and there's no all perfect, super um, you know, I'm mm -hmm. a human being that I know. Right. Right. I think you made a really good point when you said use your voice in all areas because mm -hmm. I think we can always use our voice when, you know, it's good or when we have to fight or advocate, but it's kind of hard to use our voice to say, I'm not, I'm weak right now. I'm right. weak in this moment. I know for me, I don't, that's that's super hard. Right. I don't even yeah. think I do that yet. You know, but <laughs> but, but to your point, like that's that was a really good point, like to use your voice in all aspects because we do need help sometimes. I think so. And you know, even for me, when I look back at just when you asked me how I was doing, mm -hmm. I think that was a huge step. I need like a sticker next to my name or something. <laughs> I think it was a huge step for me to even say I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Because for me to admit that, one, is huge. But we don't, as long as I'm in this uniform, and, and actually when I take this uniform off, I don't ever not get to be the police commissioner. Whether I'm at the grocery store. We just said it today. Or wherever mm -hmm. it is. I don't ever get to stop Donna's like how does she chill like how does she <laughs> how like when like what does that look like mm -hmm. your self-care and stuff she was like those are the questions we were talking about this morning in an ideal world I can tell you what that looks like but realistically had, there has been nothing mm -hmm. since I've been here um, just because it's been non-stop let me tell you I had to do 
I mean, literally had to speak to media when I first got here because it was rumored that I was on vacation. <laughs> and they, the way it was set up, it was as if it was a bad thing. Right. To take a break. To take a break. Now, mind you, I hadn't, it would have been, you know, a few months since me being it, but mm-hmm. who does that? When on the one hand, you hear everybody talking about, oh, don't forget self-care. Mm-hmm. Balance, you know, work life and it. <laughs> <laughs> But how dare you take time for yourself? Now, I didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't go on it. And then I think it was two weeks, three weeks. Mm-hmm. None of which was true. But why should I even? And why is it your business? That you're on, on vacation. You're absolutely right. Whether I am or I'm not. And right. why is this such, you know, why is this a dirty word or, or a bad thing? Mm-hmm. So now fast forward to today. I still, I still ain't took a vacation. And the bad thing about it is it's like, well, if I do, golly, is this going to be an issue? I mean, the fact that I have these questions, I should never Mm-hmm. I have to question myself as to whether or not it's okay to take time for myself because right. we all know we can't pour from an empty cup. But I'm glad that I was able to even voice to you all. I'm like, you know, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. It's okay to say that you're tired mm-hmm. because then that tells me, all right, address it, fix mm-hmm. it. Right? right. It's it's okay to not be on top and you know mm-hmm. perky and bubbly all the time. Right. Because that wouldn't be true anyway. It wouldn't be. Sorry. It wouldn't be. But, you know, you watch enough reality TV. That's oh, why, yeah. you know, folks have these false mm-hmm. false ideas of what life is supposed to be like. Right. And then, you know, they hit these super lows when they realize their life isn't like that. Yeah. Each and everything prepares you. Mm-hmm. Prepares all of us. It certainly prepared me. So when the next thing happens, I'm like, okay. You know, I don't fly off the handle about it. I'm like, all right, let's sit down, we'll work it through, we'll figure it out. And mm-hmm. I think that's why a lot of us are so calm under pressure or in crisis. I, the one thing that I worry about for myself is, Lord, please don't ever let me get numb. You know, don't ever let me get to the, I've seen it all. Mm-hmm. And then I just shrug it off like, yeah, it is what it is. Because at that point, that tells me either I'm messed up in the head mm-hmm. or I've lost my passion and my mm-hmm. drive about what I'm doing. Either I need to hit the reset button or it's time for me to do something else. That's my biggest concern. I don't want to become numb or normalize mm-hmm. all these crazy things that I'm seeing on a regular basis. Yeah, true. What and we we want to wrap up your interview because I know we're running a long time. But um what what gives you peace? Like when you think about it, like when you seek moments of peace, like in all this chaos and everything that you have to do and all the violence and everything else going on, your personal life, everything else, when do you seek moments of peace and what does it look like? For me, it's just, I have so many, like I said, I have so many happy and positive memories Mm -hmm. of just my family. I come from a very big family, Mm -hmm. and it was tough. It's still tough being on the East Coast or all on the West Coast, and, you know, not initially, of course, you know, before being vaccinated, but it's still kind of, right, but not being able to see him. I lost um, my uncle. Uh, last year, mm-hmm. very, very close, very, very close. He didn't, uh, my mom and I off and on up until I went to school. Okay. Um, and not being there, you know, I was able to see him before he passed, but mm-hmm. not being there was kind of just, mm-hmm. but I have so many positive memories and just happy thoughts and the ability to connect with them and, mm-hmm. you know, all of us virtually, you know, music is huge for me. Cooking is huge. Spending time with my kids cooking. when they are here. I love to cook. <laughs> All right. I love to cook. And, you know, it used to be being around, you know, 
my homegirls, but mm-hmm. you know, again, mm-hmm. it's weird. So we just do it in different ways. I do like to get out and about and just walk and mm-hmm. just drain out, mm-hmm. drown out the noise as much as I can. I got a little, little puppy. It's dang that like having a newborn. <laughs> so I moved here with a with a puppy. Okay. Which is like, <laughs> like literally like having a, another child in mm-hmm. the house, but you know, kind of. Your babies are grown. Yeah. So I was like, I, I got a fur baby. Look, look, when I moved here, I was like, oh, I got to pick them up from the daycare. <laughs> like I don't know how that sounds out loud because I've never been one of them kiss a dog in the mouth type people. Mm-hmm. Kind of push people in. So the, the dog, dog was the daycare. The dog was the daycare. I call it a boo-boo. It's a, yeah, it's a, I can't even try <laughs> to find cool, a name cool. for it. And then I can see him on little, uh, the all, on the cameras oh. all day. So when I have moments during the day, sometimes I'll pull, pull the screen. I'll just look at it. I mean, just, I have made a conscious effort to focus on things that make me happy or smile or laugh. Mm-hmm. So even when I go home, I'm very intentional about the things I watch on TV. I don't watch the news. I don't watch anything that just constantly just drags mm-hmm. home the all things terrible. Mm-hmm. I don't read those type of articles, right? I like I love stand up comedy. I watch a lot of it on, you know, mm-hmm. just stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure that I keep a positive vibe and to keep positive energy because I find that any anywhere you turn, you can find something to bring the vibe down. Mm-hmm. And right. I just intentionally stay away from it. Or I don't hear it. Right. We gotta be intentional about those things. And we talk about the all the time just because some like it seems like the negative is there, but the positive need like we need to force the positive sometimes or we have to like search for the good. But it should be just kinda surrounding us. But unfortunately we live in this age where it's you know, we live in Philly, so it's COVID violence, COVID violence. It's kinda like a cycle. A cycle. So we, we literally only we sit in the negative, we sit in so much depression. Um and, and I feel like every episode is like is it because we're therapists we see like we see or we hear these things or is it just like more in the world now we still haven't really figured it out if like right. therapy is in like just a bigger thing now or is it just because we're in it but even still we have to make sure we're like seeking those things out it sucks but we have to be intentional about those things you hit the nail on the head because i mean i even catch myself sometimes um folks will guilt you or make you feel guilty or I'll speak for myself, or will try to make me feel guilty. We want to push out positive stories or talking about good things that's going on in the department. It's like, oh, how dare you tweet out something about little kids playing happily somewhere? Do you know how many lives we lost yesterday? Or I'm like, well, yes, we do, but this is also, but this is also happening. going on here. Right. All is not lost. It's almost like we are locked in to thinking murder, death, kill. We got to be somber, savvy all day, mm-hmm. every day. And we're not going to get out of this if we don't begin to remind ourselves and remind the community that there's so much out here to be hopeful for and grateful for. That's why when I walked in this building, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, there is something new here. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm joking about it, but not really. Mm-hmm. There is so much to be thankful for. Right. There is so much forward movement here. There are so many great positive things that we could be talking about without focusing on all the things that's wrong. Right. I agree with that. Anything else you want to just share or just leave with the people, our listeners? No, I, I just appreciate, um, I probably, look, I probably told you guys more than anybody in here knows, <laughs> well, not a whole world knows, uh, but I, I think it's important, you know, we tend to see 
people, whether they're political figures, I'm not a political figure, I want to be very clear, um, but public figures as these folks on a pedestal, mm -hmm. right, that aren't human beings. And we, quite frankly, have more in common than folks think. I think that's important. I think it's also important um, to know that, again, all hope isn't lost. And we all have to learn, we're all growing, we're all developing over time. And I just look at my life in chunks and phases. Mm -hmm. And it might seem that at times we get pushed. Sometimes I just sit and I'm like, gosh, I'm just getting tested. I'm getting tested. Why, why, why? How much more can I take? And then on the back end, I realize that I'm generally, it's been that I'm being prepared for something greater. Mm -hmm. There's always something greater coming. It's not that we're asking for more or seeking more. But we're going through whatever it is we're going through at that time so we can handle whatever's coming next. And we just dust it off our shoulders mm -hmm. like this. So sometimes if it comes off like I don't care or I'm being dismissive or whatever this criticism is, it's not that. Mm -hmm. It's just that at this point in my life, there's so much that I've experienced mm -hmm. that there's really <laughs> much, right? Mm -hmm. um, that can phase me because when I'm open to 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 hearing feedback and understanding that I'm still growing, mm -hmm. but also that is, we're all growing. Right. And it's real easy to point fingers and say what other folks aren't doing. Right. right. So I would just say that, again, I think we all need to be open to learning more about ourselves, open to holding the mirror up, open to recognizing that everything that we're experiencing happens in chunks and phases. Mm -hmm. And that we're being prepared for something greater. And I think you're reframing it that way too about the chunks and phases and like the preparation period. Because it's like I think we can get so caught up on like the bad things that are going on in our lives that we like just stay there and we don't even think or we can't even see past that moment. But to understand like there's something else coming. So to reframe it that way was, was dope. Mm -hmm. Right. And I took a lot, I took from that more so like the grace pet part of it. Like give ourselves grace, give other people grace. Yes. Mm -hmm. Give yes. people grace. Yes. Right. And so my friends would kill me if I didn't ask you this question before you go. <laughs> they want to know how you lay your edges. It'd be 6 o'clock in the morning. They'd be like, Commissioner Outlaw is at the press conference. And I, it take me hours to do mine. So what's up with hers? They want to know. I'm Who taught you? Because, <laughs> Elsa and I just talked about this yesterday. I, I wash and mow my hair every morning. Okay. Literally. And... There's a setting lotion, and then there's an edge tamer. There's two different edge tamers <laughs> that I use, and I just do it. So this, this is the last thing I'm going to say. <laughs> this style was born out of necessity. Okay. When I moved to Portland, when I took the chief job in Portland, I had a shortcut. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to Portland, it, it I was I was initially flying back and forth to Oakland because it was less than an hour and a half flight to get my hair done. Okay. And so then I said, well, given that, you know, there was one person at the time that was doing my hair and it was like, I said, forget it. And it rains nine months out of the year. I said, I'm just going to get the top twisted. Mm -hmm. But I still need to keep this short because obviously they couldn't grab it. Right, right. right? <laughs> and so I said, well, we'll just keep doing this in the same way we were doing it mm -hmm. while I had the shortcut and then I'll just... Mm -hmm. See what happens with this. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing it ever since. So okay. I literally maintain the back and the sides the same way I did. But I tie it down every night. 
Well, I sleep a little bit better. I mean, when it was a shortcut, I don't think I got any sleep at night. I slept, you know, sitting up. But it's still kind of the same, but that's how I do it. Well, the girls in Philly are definitely checking in, trying to figure out what's up. It is. It's a set lotion and it's two dish controls. Y'all got that? In a rat tail comb. Okay, I don't think I, I, think I need it. Look at mine. My joint is already. I didn't even lay it. My hair is still wet. And I do a lot of still wet. Okay. There you go. Thank you. We want to thank Commissioner Aulo for jumping on our podcast. Yes. Um, all right, let's jump into our next segment. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype. Don't, 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 don't believe the hype. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe the So when we were thinking about it today, um, what we would talk about during our don't believe the hype segment, um, it occurred to me that some people think that your mental illness or your depression has to stem from a current, like an event that happened, like a mm-hmm. certain event that happened in your life. So what do you think about that? Um, so you mean in, in general? Yeah, in general. In like general, that people, necessary. some people think that you have your to, mental illness or your depression has to be triggered of, right, of by a, an, of event. an event. Right. Um, so that's, that's a huge myth because one, um, depression can be genetic. So let's start mm-hmm. there. That That is something that literally can just be passed down um, from a family history of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't have to be, you know, a tragic loss or a violent event or anything like that. It can literally just be genetic. Mm-hmm. You could have not had any traumas or issues or anything, um, any single events or consistent events that can lead to any type of depression, anxiety, mental illness, schizophrenia, because, again, it can mm-hmm. be genetic. Um, and I think that's the frustrating part for people when they're like, why am I feeling this way? Mm-hmm. When really, it may not be nothing um, environmental that has happened to right. them, but they still feel this heaviness. They still feel this like this weight or they're still living with this mental illness. So like, I think for a lot of people, that's where the frustration comes in. It. Mm-hmm. Right. Because a lot of times we do think that, and I think another kind of myth in that is that depression um, looks like sadness or, you know, a lot of the mental... Because depression, depression is very common in mental illness. So we think about that a lot, depression and anxiety, but it doesn't have to be caused by or triggered by an event. But we, we kind of think it does because we equate depression and sadness. But mm-hmm. we know as, as professionals that, you know, just because you're sad, it doesn't mean that you're depressed. Right. Um, and maybe it's kind of like two myths in one. But I think that that's kind of where a lot of that misconception stems from is because we think that it has to be a reason or cause or mm-hmm. we, we equate like... Or we look for it. Like, right. why Why do I feel this way? Why mm-hmm. am I sad? Why? And it's just like, yo, you just might be, have it in your genes. Like, mm-hmm. you might just... Your genetic makeup might just be that you have this genetic gene of depression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, 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 and that's when people like, you know, they, they just think that it has to always stem from something. And it mm-hmm. doesn't. It really doesn't. Right. Now we can. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, can. it can. It can be a triggering. We can. We talk about um, situational depression mm-hmm. and when something happens situational wise, and then you become depressed or you're triggered by something or you're traumatized by something. Yeah, so that can happen, but it does not always have to stem from an event right. or from a tragedy or from a loss. Mm-hmm. Now those tragedy, those tragedies, those events and loss absolutely is going to impact you mm-hmm. when you have it genetically as well. So that's right, the right, double, right, that's right. The double, that's the way, right, right. right. It's right. Like, Hold up now. It's already in my family. It runs right. them already. Um, and then, you know, if, if it's a black family and, you know, they have not dealt with it. like Or many, talked about or it. Or talked about it like many of us right. have not. Then, then it's like, wow. First of all, we, you know, we have this genetically. We haven't talked about it. And then, boom, events 
has mm-hmm. happened that has also so that's that's a whole right a whole so it's lot. like they they you know compound like mm-hmm. is that on top of that on top of that on top of everything else we living with you know what right. i mean so we say that to say that no you don't have to have an event that triggers your depression or your mental illness yes an event can trigger your mental illness or your depression however some people just genetically are born um with that trait Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important that we have these conversations with our family, that we have these conversations with our friends, that we discuss these things and normalize it because it's com- like it's so common. And we always right. talk about that one in four um, statistic, but you have to realize that within a black community, it's way higher than it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's common. I want to say almost right. every black person probably <laughs> is dealing with some type of mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And it's just what it is. Whether it's diagnosed or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And you might not agree with it or not, but if we really would do a study on it, I'm pretty sure that it would be factual. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So that's our myth. So we hope that helps somebody uh, this episode. Let's jump into our next episode. Um, next episode. Let's jump into our next segment. Truth is. I had a truth. Tell me about your truth. I had a truth on Friday night. So Friday night, I went to my my friend, uh, my brother, Jari. He has a restaurant in um, near the stadium um, mm-hmm. called Venue. So uh, me and um, my friend Rich, my bro Rich, we, y'all know Richard. Richard that lets us record <laughs> in, his, in his space. Um, me and my brother Richard, we went down to Venue um to to hang out for a little bit and when I was in there I saw all of my college friends because y'all really all went to college together so a lot of my college friends were in there and um I had a long talk with uh one of my college friends BK mm-hmm. so me Richard and BK had a long talk the pre was there too but me Richard and BK really had this conversation and what I realized in that conversation for my truth is that I am scared to let my guard down again in what aspects like relationship wise okay um, so I am scared of it and I, I didn't realize it, realize it until that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, I'm still, not that I'm traumatized from my previous relationship, but I still don't want to love or let love end that way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It's like a, and I say, does that make sense? Not that you don't get it, but like, am I explaining mm-hmm. it correctly to you? Right. Um, I just feel like I have this fence up and I can be mean. We know. I can be mean, but I think that that's my defense mechanism because I am really scared to let go again. Mm-hmm. So I realized that during that conversation because they were, I mean, you would think BK and Richard was therapists because they had me on the, in the chair. Like, right. but why? Right. But <laughs> you why? know what I mean? Why you feel that way? So let me but why do you do that? You, you're scared of a negative outcome or are you scared of... I'm scared of feeling the way I felt when the relationship ended. Like, so that, so, so a that outcome, outcome. That negative okay. outcome. I'm afraid of that. Like, okay. And so, um, I just don't want to feel that way again. Mm-hmm. And so, I think now I can be mean when I really, that's not, really, if you know the heart, like my heart, right. like I'm not a mean person. I just can be mean, but I think that meanness is like my defense mechanism so you won't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to stay that far away from me so that you won't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's a truth that I realized about myself. This okay, week. so you realized that. So, let me ask you if. In, in that realization, did you did you think like okay, this is just something I recognize, or you just did you say like to yourself like okay, I'm going to consciously kind of tweak something? Right. So I prayed about it because okay. I do want to tweak it. I want to be conscious about tweaking it. I I 
I want to be kind. Like, I want to be my authentic self. I don't want to have this guard up and, like, I thought she was squinting like that because I was, like, my authentic <laughs> self. <laughs> I, you know, I want to be my authentic self. And so I have to let that wall down if I'm going to be my authentic self because this is not who I am. Like, this is not my authentic self. I'm not a mean person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to consciously work on changing my right. behavior Mm-hmm. Um, and I also heard something else in here is that you like are kind of like admitting it like you have seen yourself be mean definitely okay I, I know I'm being mean like I <laughs> okay. know that I know it like mm-hmm. I can consciously and I had to apologize mm-hmm. um, because I feel like I have been being mean mm-hmm. and you know but that's just I also realized in that moment when they were asking me and talking to me that I'm this comes from a place and like we always talk about what's the root of it right. like the root of it is I don't want to ever feel that way again mm-hmm. and so now I'm scared to let love in or let whatever in you know what i mean not even love like just like or some taking a day at a time like why are you hype like you know what right. i mean but i'm scared to even do that because it's like i don't want to feel that way and it's been a long time it's been like three years mm-hmm. so it's like when you going let go right. when you gonna let, let it down you right. know what i mean so yeah okay. well, that's, a, that's a good that's, that's my a truth. good truth a good conscious truth a recognition and then working right you did all that and it's <laughs> in a couple of days so i had to process I'm it i had to process it because i was like they almost had me in tears at the restaurant. I'm sitting there like, do I need to go back to therapy? Right, hold up now. But yeah. Um, but so what's your truth, sis? So um, earlier in the episode, we talked about marriage. We talked about love. Um, and I feel like you had a truth about love. So I kind of feel like I can kind of keep going with the, what? With the theme. What? <laughs> what? Why are you saying what? Because I can't believe that you about to share about some love. Trust me, it ain't gonna be no juicy, spicy tea. Okay. That you think, okay. But okay. Um, you know, the commissioner talked about um, you know, marriages and relationships and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. he kind of added on with the, you know, with the love. So I'll keep it going, even though y'all y'all know me. <laughs> um, but I feel like I've I've recognized a lot of stuff in myself when it comes to like love, and we talked about earlier. Like I love love, like I really love love, and. That, that me aspect that I that I feel like you have, I feel like I definitely can have it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I what I have recognized is that I'm not I'm open. I'm I'm very open. Like I love love. I feel like I, I appreciate love. I see love and I praise mm-hmm. it. Like all all of those things. And I, and I think that I'm not like blocking it. But I think that we all have a way of kind of like. Um, blocking, like blocking some type of blessing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I feel like I realized that in myself, and like I, I can be blocking to certain things because of previous. Um, it's kind of like using past situations and dictating a future. So it's like mm-hmm. I can't use what, especially ten years ago. Like you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I can't use certain things. Like for example, this may sound real, real like shallow, but like I'm like I'm not. Gemini. Like, you know what oh, I'm saying? Oh, I feel about Tauruses. So, we, we're <laughs> good. Yes. But I feel like I can't use that because people, like, people grow up. People are different people. But I can't use, you know, the sign, a, all, all the, the So, to your point, I think that you, we talk about that a lot when you when, when you do go on dates. And you be like, well, he got here, this, he that. And I'm like, girl, right. that's not him. Like, right. <laughs> right. It's like, right. I definitely... True. That last time I had, right, right, right. I'm like, he giving me this person vibes, and like, I, I feel like I can't do that because even though it may be a sign, it may be, you know, maybe something to keep an eye out on, but I can't be like, oh, he remind me of this person, nope, or oh, Mm -hmm. he give me these vibes, nope, or or, no, because 
I think that now we're at an age where not that we have to relax our standards, but that we have so much knowledge and so much experience in us that it's hard not to like use those past things mm -hmm. in in our dating and our relationships and our everything. Right. Like why it can be good in having that discernment and having that knowledge, like you can't let that dictate. Right. Um and I definitely did that that last time. I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't know, he gave me such and such vibe. And here I am trying to be the therapist like, but why? <laughs> right. And I'm like, it's just something about it. Like I couldn't even explain it. But I definitely feel like I love love and I'm open to that. And um and I think that's what we have to start confessing to, that, like, we are open to it. And I mm -hmm. think I want to be open to it, right. but I don't want the consequences of it. Right. And I, you know, and I think that's for you, too. Like, mm -hmm. you you don't want to ever replay what has already happened. Right. And, and I'm not, like, I'm not even, like, I didn't have no, like, oh, my gosh, this craziness happened at the end of a relationship. Like, I really haven't had any, like, craziness blow-ups at the end of a relationship or anything like that. So I'm not even scared of a relationship ending. I'm not scared of that. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't even want to put myself in a position where I'm have, when I have to deal with certain situations. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I could prevent it, then I want to prevent it. But at the same time, I have to, like, realize that. But you, you we got to be able to give people chances, even though they might be born in the same month as the person <laughs> or... Right. Hold they fork. No, the person like, hold they fork. Like, 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 you know what I mean? Sure. That true. That true. Sound familiar? I ain't never gonna forget that. Right. You know what I mean? So we we gotta be open to that. So mm -hmm. when I say open, like we gotta be open to those things. Yeah. I think. And that's a confession that's that we can right. like start speaking because clearly you can start. But I said oh, here. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I want. I can say that we're open to love. I, I mean, yes, for sure. And I think that. I, I want to believe it. I want to believe it. Like what we say don't match how we Our confessional match our condition. Like, nah, like, nah, we ain't doing that. Like, right, right. But you said you was open, but I'm not open to that, though. Like, right, you know, right, I right. feel like we we're, we still have standards. So, like, just be, we open. We ain't open everything. We ain't open right, everything. Right. Like, right. Know. To love. I'm not saying to every man. I'm mm -hmm. just saying to love. Yes. Love everybody, everything. Spread love. All day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we said we celebrating all May, so this is our graduation month to y'all. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. This is graduation month. This is honor ceremony month. We just replaying in 2020. We got vacations. <laughs> Listen, we out. So, May you know, we open. We just open. Right. I just want to be open. We here all right. I'm here for it. All right, let's get ready for our last segment, uh, our two-minute sessions. So somebody DM me and was like, oh, you got your master's now and you mm -hmm. down and got your podcast. What y'all going to do to break the stigma in the black community around mental health? Ooh. They like came right at the juggler. Like, okay. What we going to do? What we going to do? do? Well, do you listen to Black in Therapy? Let's start there <laughs> on all platforms, okay? Chime in every Monday, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, we speak on it. We talk on it. Um... And we practice it. Mm -hmm. Personally, for me, I work in um, mental health in like underserved communities. I work with the black community. I work with every people on Medicaid, welfare. Um, so that that is my community. Um, we break the stigma every week. Let's start there. I feel like I feel like I can go down a, like a whole list of things that we doing. But low key, like first of all, we listen to the podcast. We breaking myths every week. Um, I think that a part of now I'm thinking about more things that I want to do. You know how we are. We always mm -hmm. like, oh, but I want to do this and I want to do that. 
trust me, we got plans. Trust me, we got a lot of things going on. But um, we speak about it. We we teach people. We don't let, you know, we're not in rooms and letting people say, you know, address people wrong. We're not let, allowing people to um, say things that um, are is misinformation. Like, we spread information. We spread knowledge. Um, not even just on social media. Um, check out all Sarah talk about all her interviews on the radio. <laughs> not all my interviews. <laughs> all, you know, we we out here. Um, but yeah, I would say I could start there. That that was right. That's a lot. That's what, that's what, facts. What that's all facts. Um, so we can be honest and say that there is a um, disparity or a lack of black therapists that are culturally competent, right? Mm-hmm. Culturally competent therapists um, that can serve our communities. Mm-hmm. We can we can be honest in that. So when I think about that, like, we have to start either supporting those people who create the community. So, like, with Soroya, who creates the community, with um, Mackenzie, who creates the communities, mm-hmm. with, um, like, black girl, therapy for black girls, mm-hmm. like, all those people that create these communities for people to reach out to and get a black therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, we can support those people. We can also create, you know, a different platform, too, where we can connect with those people I think that it's also important that not only do we connect with the people that are already therapists, but I think it's important for us to give back to those who are coming behind us. Mm -hmm. Because what would I know about being a black therapist if I didn't meet a Dr. Scott or a Dr. Heath or a Dr. Wiley? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or a Dr. Michelle. So it's like we have to be able to give back what we've learned to other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for me. And I know it's probably important for you too, like, because you always down to go to a school with me whenever. Like, I think people have to see it in order to know that they can do it too. Mm -hmm. Because I'm from North Philly, you from Southwest, like, that's the hood. We can come from the hood and become something different that can empower our communities. And I think, um, even in the conversation we had with Cherry, and y'all be able to hear that next week, um, about what what she was taught in the HBCU, mm-hmm. like about what her role was, but then for our role, like to liberate and lead, like mm-hmm. it's we got to right. free the mind of right. these black people, and then we got to be able to lead them in a better direction. Mm-hmm. So I think that's when I think about what I, what am I going to do? Yeah, I'm gonna have my black and therapy podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna do these interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna do there to hope. I'm gonna make sure I reach as many kids as we can reach. But I also want to uh, support the people that are creating the network. But I also want to give back so that other black women girls and boys can see that they can be a black therapist too Mm -hmm. and it's not not that it's not hard but it's achievable right and how can we support them in their journey too because then we always got to think about financially what dr moore said that day he came and talked to us Mm -hmm. if you believe in something you got to put your money where your mouth is right so then we got to create some scholarships or something for these people to go to school so they can get where we are right Right, and, and in all of that, we always think about the things that we did have, the Dr. Heaps, the Dr. Michelle, the Dr. Wiley, but we also think about the things that we didn't have. Right. And I think that that's good for us to be able to create and motivate and put those things out there to say that, one, we can we can give give that information back to other, other people to encourage and inspire them mm-hmm. to be therapists if they want, but also just so that they know it, that they know that it's an option. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, I mean, I never had a therapist come to my school and career. Right. I never, you know, that was not something that, was um was known so just right. just the presence of it all mm-hmm. um and, and again every episode y'all know I probably said in this episode already I don't know if mental health is becoming <laughs> so big or if it's just because we're in this field because I see mental health so much and I'm so proud of it I'm so proud of how far we've come with you know um acknowledging it accepting it and progressing through you mm-hmm. know through it so yes we yeah, working so. it up. We, we working. working. We working on it. Right. You know what I mean? We're definitely working on it. Um, so we want to again thank 
Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw for being our special guest this week. Yes. We want to thank Elka for um, hooking it up and getting the dates together. Shout out to you. We want to thank Tumar for getting a ball rolling for us um, because, you know, he didn't have to do it. And, you know, the commissioner didn't have to answer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she didn't have to respond. So we thank her for responding. And we know that um, Commissioner Outlaw's uh, Feel Good Song of the Week is Better Days by Aunt Clemens and Justin Timberlake. So we want to thank y'all again for tuning in to Black and Therapy. Y'all have a dope week on purpose. You want to say something? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've been kicked out, slept on, let down, faith gone. Waited for too long for something to lean on. You feel weak, just be strong. Deep breath, stay calm. If you just press on, press on. Sun. You gon' see there's a light at the end of the tunnel